Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Buildings are responsible for around 20% of New Zealand's carbon footprint, which makes the building sector a critical part of the ambition to be net zero by 2050. And yet our homes are notoriously damp and cold, at least miners, and energy inefficient. And get this, the construction sector emits the equivalent of one million cars on the road every year. Who knew? Well, my next guest does. Andrew Eagles is the Chief Executive of the New Zealand Green Building Council, and he's here to explain what's going wrong and what's going right in the built environment. Welcome, Andrew, to this climate business. Oh, kia ora. Great to be here. Thanks, Vincent. Well, that's a staggering statistic. I'll just read it again. The construction sector emits pollution equivalent to the emissions of one million cars on the road every year. What typically makes up those emissions, Andrew? That's a really good point. I think that these emissions have been hidden a long time uh, because we think of them and categorise them under energy or industrial energy use. Now, those emissions that we're talking about there in terms of uh, one million cars off the road relate to the embodied carbon emissions. Uh, So these are emissions that are created when we create or manufacture buildings materials. So Hmm. when we make uh, concrete steel or aluminium. Uh, And there are other uh, materials and and those are some of the key ones though. Um, So when we make a building, we uh, produce concrete, it's used on site or steel, aluminium and other materials and and that creates emissions. Uh, So that piece of work uh, ThinkStep did with us brought that to the fore. There is a bit of hope. We we believe that it's possible to reduce um, that amount by roughly 460,000 cars off the road in the medium term by taking some taking some steps to reduce those embodied carbon emissions. Hmm. Yeah. You have some very uh, impressive credentials in the space, including the the uh, the building standards. Uh, we're now at Green Building Standards five and six, I think. Um, just explain those building standards and how prevalent are they across the sector? So the New Zealand Green Building Council, where I'm really privileged to work with engineers, architects and other great people, we're a not-for-profit created by the construction and property sector. And the way we work is uh, 16 years ago, the sector said to us, we need tools to help identify which buildings and homes are lower carbon and, and healthier. So we went out to the sector and workshopped and look at, looked at uh, what's important to people and then we create those standards and those standards are overseen by the sector and, and so they include uh, the health, um, reducing waste to landfill, water efficiency uh, and energy efficiency, so lower running costs and lower carbon emissions. So we've had uh, around 200 buildings have been verified to that standard Green Star. And as you say, most of those buildings are five Green Star and some are six Green Star. That's world leading building. Uh, We do get some achieving four Green Star and that's still great. That's significantly uh, above the 
building code. So it's really, really positive. And then what's happened more recently is people have also wanted to get interested in existing buildings and also housing. So we've uh, launched a tool about six years ago with the sector called Homestar to do the same thing as that. Uh, mm. and, and that's going uh, very, very well. So healthier, lower carbon, more energy efficient homes as well. So you're fighting the good fight, but what proportion of new builds would qualify for a, a, at least a, a four a green star rating in New Zealand? Yeah, that's a really good question. We, we've got good uptake in larger office buildings. Uh, so in the main centres, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, if a larger office building is being built, then it tends to head towards Green Star. Uh, so I'd say we get really good coverage there. But the really exciting thing is that we're moving into um, theatres, uh, um, libraries, uh, art galleries, and you know other building types, uh, retail, and that's really exciting because you start yeah. getting a far bigger impact and and reduction and uh, lots of people you know go to those uh, buildings and then they get inspired so we're kind of um, oh, industrial buildings we're seeing a lot of growth in that area um, and there's some real leaders so countdown they're building all of their stores to green star ratings as is goodman um, the industrial publicly listed property company and argosy and others so some people are just doing that as standard now as they build. Uh, and Manson's here in Auckland, they build all of their buildings to the Green Star standard. Uh, all of the uh, hospital capital projects that are over 50 million will be built to Green Star standard. So that's great. You know, Dunedin Hospital, Paranaki Base Hospital, uh, lower carbon, healthier places. So that's, that's really positive, I think. And just to clarify, a standard of that is above the statutory requirements of uh, what government would expect in the or and councils would expect in their own building codes. That's right. Yeah. So it's above in a couple of ways. Uh, so research shows it's about um, thirty to sixty percent more energy efficient. Uh, so lower uh, energy bills and lower carbon. But then it's also doing things like uh, water efficiency, less waste to landfill, um, a better indoor environment. And all of those things, they're not even in the building code. Uh, a really shocking thing about our building code is that the OECD and International Energy Agency have said that our building code is, is woeful by international standards. Uh, and so we've got very low requirements. So there's um, nothing in the building code on energy efficient lighting or on water efficiency or on overheating. So we're trying to rectify that with the sector and, and get people building a bit better. Hmm. We're on the cusp of building and we're in fact right in the middle of building tens of thousands of houses to address our housing shortage. Am I hearing right from you then that these houses that are being consented are by your standards um, and by international standards, woeful in their uh, in their cl climate readiness. That's right. Yeah, we're consenting over forty thousand homes a year currently, and uh, 
broad majority of those. So brands research finds that the broad majority of those are built to our, our building code. Uh, and the building code by international standards is very, very low standard. So uh, what, what we need to be doing is, uh, is building far lower operational carbon, that's more energy efficient, and far lower embodied carbon, which is that um, piece of data I mentioned around energy efficiency. And in fact, brands and massive university research found that the homes we're building at the moment are five times what uh, the Paris climate change target um, sets out they should be. Uh, so we, we tend to build big houses. Uh, we build them in a very inefficient, um, very, so they are very energy intensive and we use a lot of materials which we need to reduce down. Um, so there are some pockets of, of good practice. We're, we're seeing people build to high home star standards. There's a standard called passive house, which is very good on operational carbon. And Kainga Aura and others are investigating low embodied carbon materials as, as well. But those are just really pilots mm. and uh, examples as opposed to um, happening in the mainstream. Mm. I mean, this this comes on top of already a housing stock that is famous for being damp and cold. Uh, you know, I live in a in a villa uh, in Auckland, which uh, is terrific in the summer and uh, hopeless in the winter, even though it's uh, being retrofitted and, um, you know, in theory should be warm. So um, it's very disheartening, isn't it, to hear that even our new builds are replicating the problems of the past. It is, it is very disheartening. And you, you put that really well. I think that new builds are the easiest opportunity because uh, starting from scratch. So we should, we should really be able to build um, far warmer, far better. And indeed, government is looking at that. So they set, have set out a program, it's called Building for Climate Change, where they plan to improve the energy efficiency of homes and have a trajectory to zero, near zero energy homes by 2030, 2032 or 2033, that kind of time frame. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the thing you've just mentioned is that uh, our existing stock, so this is harder because uh, brands research and also uh, the census research found that 30 to 40% of our homes are damp and mouldy. And I think the most shocking thing is you go to buy a home in, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and you don't know, actually, how healthy, <laughs> energy efficient that home is. And that, that's just absolutely shocking. I think Kiwis deserve to know that. And uh, we're making some inroads to, to get there, but we'd, be, we'd really support that on the limb statement that you get you can see whether it's an energy efficient, healthy home or not. Mm. I remember years ago, probably over 10 years ago, the Green Building Council was championing a, a kind of warrant of fitness for houses in the same way that we do for cars, right? What happened to that initiative? Well, the warrant of fitness, did it got a bit of traction, but then just not, not very strong uptake. So what the Green Building Council has done is just in the last couple of years, we've launched a free tool called HomeFit that anybody can use to just check the things that you can easily 
undertake to improve the health of your home. So things like uh, topping up your insulation to 140 mil, um, underfloor, um, ground vapor barriers, uh, ventilation, these sorts of things that are hundreds or below thousands of dollars in terms mm. of cost. And actually we've had 50,000 people use that free tool. Uh, and it also confirms if your property meets the healthy home standard, which is required for rental properties. So that, that's great. And, and what we'd like to do is have that come up on real estate websites and on LIMS. The really exciting play, I think, is also to think around uh, deep retrofit. So this is more where people are spending tens of thousands of dollars. And uh, what's happening in Europe is that Governments are supporting with incentives uh, and finance. They're supporting significant improvements to homes, uh, like 30 to 50% reductions in hmm. energy use, and really drive that down. And I think that's a really exciting place uh, hmm. to be in. Uh, so I'd you, like you, to come so back to. Uh, I'd quite like to come back to that retrofit potential uh, later in the podcast. But let's just continue for the moment with your pioneering attempts to set standards that then have failed to be adopted by government and by councils. And you released a scathing report, a review really of where the government is at in terms of standards. And I'm just quoting from this review that was published in September. Government is failing to adequately implement the measures to deliver zero carbon buildings, which threatens its ability to meet international climate obligations. And I think you identified three or four areas where the rhetoric or at least the ambition uh, has not been matched by by action. Do, do you mind just summarising those for us? Certainly, yeah. There's the, uh, first of all, if we're really to get somewhere, we need to stop fighting in the dark, right? So what's happening at the moment is a, a lack of transparency and information. So, Across Europe, when you go to uh, lease or buy a uh, building, you will get an energy certificate in terms of how that building is performing. And right now in New Zealand, we don't have that. Uh, hmm. And it's a really significant missed opportunity. So I'll give you an example. In Australia, they have the Neighbours Scheme, where if you're leasing or buying an office building, you need to know you get given the energy efficiency score of that building. This mm. is simple, one to six stars. It's delivered $1 billion worth of savings for Australian businesses and, and the taxpayer. And we've had that scheme in New Zealand for um, years and years and years. And we're over 10 years behind Australia in implementing and making that mandatory. So. Mm. Uh, that's one area where New Zealand needs to step up. Where's uh, the saving, the other, Andrew? You, you mentioned a saving yeah. there of $1 billion. What's the saving from? Yeah, so this gets really interesting. When people are asked to display how energy efficient their office building is, what happens is they compete with others to win business and they naturally move to make their, energy, their office more energy efficient. So over time, through neighbours' assessments, the average reduction is 30, 30 to 40% improvement in energy efficiency. And that comes through on your, your energy bills, which, mm. which 
delivers that $1 billion worth of savings. So now in Australia, they have neighbours for hotels, neighbours for hospitals, data centres, um, a whole range of retail buildings, a whole range of building types. Uh, and we're still um, scrambling around, not doing much. So we called, called for that a few years ago when we, we really want to see um, we really want to see more action there. And the other was uh, implementing a building for climate change program that delivers to zero, near zero energy. Now we're expecting a big change to come in 2024, but we need more detail and we need the government to get on and, and actually let us know about those caps and how that is going to work in terms of energy efficiency and lower embodied carbon emissions. Hmm. To what extent are these central government problems or local government problems? That is a really good question. I do think that there are a large number of levers that local government could be using. So for instance, right now, Vincent, if you were to go and build a house that's lower carbon and healthier, uh, there's no incentive to you. So it doesn't go on the limb and there's no reduction in the development contributions. There's no reduction in the time and going through resource and consent. And I do think that uh, we are talking to a number of councils who want to provide these incentives. And we think it's right that people are awarded for being ahead of the, ahead of the mainstream and delivering better uh, buildings. It will also significantly reduce uh, water needs, uh, energy use, these sorts of things. Hmm. Uh, there is a good example. Wellington City Council provides 50% off development contributions for buildings that are green star. And we think if government is serious about a lower carbon resilient future, then uh, we should look at this across the board uh, incentives for these, um, for these better homes. Right now, Drury, to give you an example, the development contributions will be $80,000 per home. Now, it just strikes me that that's a huge opportunity to provide a small um, advantage for people that are building lower carbon, better homes. So just explain what that development contribution is and, and who pays it. Sure. So the development contribution pays for the infrastructure that is needed for when you're developing. So things like um, the pipes, the um, sewerage, the roads, to connect up and deliver a property. And the developer pays that, and that goes on the, the costs of delivering a home. And, and our point is, if you're delivering a home which is um, 30, 50% lower carbon, it needs less water, it's more resilient to climate change, then uh, let's incentivize and reward that, either through that or faster consenting, uh, mm -hmm or having that recognised on, on the limb, we think that should be rewarded because mm. put that work in. So you're calling for greater transparency and uh, an, an ability to acknowledge the uh, the carbon intensity and the footprint of each building. You're, you're calling for incentives to reward developers and builders who are going to the effort of following higher standards. And then you must also be asking for just 
higher expectations or minimum expectations in the building code, do you think? That's right. Yeah, exactly, Vincent. So, I mean, the ideal would be that the New Zealand Green Building Council doesn't exist because <laughs> uh, we're building, um, we don't tell my team that, uh, we're, we're building so well as business as usual that we don't need higher standards. So the thing we spend the most time on and the most energy is, is influencing government to change the building code. Now, government have listened and they have set out uh, that they want to change the building code. They expect to change it in 2024 to be roughly 30% more energy efficient and to start to uh, measure the embodied carbon emissions of our homes and buildings. So they'll just start measurement there. And then in 2027, 2028, that time frame, we expect to see another a ratchet down of the carbon and energy used in uh, new build homes and buildings. Hmm. So there is a bit a, of a plan. A, we're, we're just saying get on with it a bit and get us the information and, and let's let's crack on. Yeah. What would be, uh, make it visceral for us, what would be an example of the kind of change that we could expect if those standards were implemented or, or when those standards are implemented? Yeah, sure. So for designers, it will mean they'll need to do a whole house model factoring in the quality and how efficient the windows are and the insulation and, and what it will mean, uh, and the whole house, the heating system, what it will mean is there'll be less instances where Kiwis are cold in their homes. Um, there'll be just a, a stronger, better feeling in the home in terms of warmth. Um, it will mean more modern methods of construction, things like um, SIPS panels, which have uh, insulation automatically put into the walls before they arrive on site, hmm. um, those sorts of things. And it will mean more things like green concrete, so lower carbon embodied concrete. And I think what we'll start to see is more consideration of timber over some of the other building materials. Hmm. Um, embodied carbon piece. We still see... Particularly on, on, on lower-rise uh, lower buildings. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's amazing to see when you drive around the countryside and you see how many houses are still being built to basically designs that are uh, seem to re resist the sun. You know, they've got incredibly low um, windows uh, or high windows, uh, steep eaves, uh, not orientated towards the sun, almost like they're following a design style set in the 70s or something. Yes, that's right. Well, I mean, the shocking thing is that there's nothing in the building code which says consider orientation. Of course, you know, I'm sure many listeners out there and people are, but there are designs where people don't consider um, the sun. And the, the really sad thing is that that, uh, can mean that either you're not getting the sun to heat up the home and use that um, passive heat that you gain, uh, but also on the alternative, you can get far big glazing where the property overheats. And that's a mm. real concern because mm. some people are quite vulnerable to that. So we need to consider where we've got that, um, you know, shading, 
uh, and uh, cross ventilation to cool down homes in the height of summer. And there are modeling tools for that, that factor in how much sun you're, the glazing's going to get and what you can do to reduce that with shading the windows and setting the windows. A really big change I'd like to see is windows with thermal breaks in them so they perform better uh, and that lines up better with our insulation so we're losing less heat um, through where the window joins the, the part of the building. That would be a big step for New Zealand. What's a thermal break? Just explain it to a dummy like me. Yeah, so a way to think about a thermal break is it's where um, parts of the building join each other and heat is lost through that. So for instance, you might have really good double or potentially triple glazing glass in a window, but the um, surrounding the surrounding part of the window, the frame is losing heat right through it. Hmm. So it's great the glazing is good, but the actual window frame is performing really badly. And what that leads to, you see often in New Zealand, is a moisture forming on the frame. Um, and that's because the warm air inside is escaping to the cold air outside. And because of the moisture that's in it, it leaves that moisture behind on the window. So that's a sign uh, of a bad thermal uh, break. And um, what we want to see is more windows having thermal breaks and indeed less thermal breaks in the whole building. So you put in, you put in some little bits of rubber in the window frame. Uh, well engineered of course and that reduces that heat loss through the frame of the window and this mm. is stuff that has been happening in Europe uh, for a long time uh, but we're just starting to consider here in New Zealand. You mentioned that New Zealand is well behind both Europe and Australia and I think also the UK because UK is now no longer part of Europe of course. Um, yes. Tell us about what you know why is that? Why uh, let's look at the UK, for instance. What have they done that has put them so far ahead of New Zealand on building codes and, and in retrofits as well? Yes, well, uh, the shame with the UK is they've had so many wins from being part of Europe uh, and that some of the recent discussion didn't, didn't reflect that. So Europe has <laughs> delivered cleaner rivers, um, better standards for working, and in housing and buildings, an EU directive called the EU Building Performance Directive came out in the early 2000s. And it said across Europe, we need transparency on how homes perform. And we also need a trajectory to low or zero carbon buildings. So each country had to report every um, three to four years on how they were doing. What you saw in the UK was in 2002, 2006, 2010, and 2014, they ratcheted up the energy efficiency and the uh, warmth of their homes. And they had a forward trajectory like what we're setting out now. Um, and they drove at that to understand how to reduce um, the heat loss from the homes, how to get a more airtight, better ventilation and reduce thermal breaks, the thing I've, I've just been talking about. Hmm. Uh, and so we saw this dramatic education of architects, um, engineers, builders, as they learned about thermal breaks, as they learned about building more airtight 
less gaps, less drafts, uh, and improvement in the quality of the homes. Uh, one of the things we have to learn from is as those homes got more airtight, um, they did need to think quite a bit about overheating to ensure there was shading and cross ventilation, uh, good ventilation through the system. So I think in New Zealand we've, we've suffered from it being quite anti-regulation, anti-regulation stance, and a suggestion that we're in a temperate climate, which which we are, and so we really we're a long way behind, and we're just now starting to pick that up, and that's impacted on hundreds of thousands of Kiwi families, unfortunately. Mm. We didn't even include insulation in the building code until 1978. You know, it's quite quite shocking. These changes are expensive, and we already know the cost of building houses, and including retrofitting and uh, redevelopment of existing houses, is really expensive. What you're talking about is just loading more costs onto the poor old muggins who has to pay for it, like me. Uh, how has this been handled in other countries? Mm. So it is interesting. You know that often comes up. One of the things that they have noted in other countries is the the learning rates are quite a lot faster than we even expect. That's the first thing, and I'll come on to what that means. And then the the second thing is that uh, it's actually it delivers a lot of benefits as well. So what do I mean by the the learning rates? So in the UK, they had something called the Code for Sustainable Homes, a bit like Homestar, and they found that within uh, three years, the cost of getting to high standards, so more energy efficient, healthier, was 50% less. Because what had happened is it had moved into the mainstream and you had all the products and materials reduced in, in cost. Hmm. and People had learnt how to do it, uh, and so they were doing it as normal. And you know, there's a lot of people in New Zealand, when we bought out Homestar, we had people saying it was gonna cost us 10% more to build to this. Now, Rawlinson's the QS firm, they looked at uh, Homestar, and they found that in Auckland it would be one to one and a half percent, and in Wellington and Christchurch, it would be two to two and a half percent. And if you were to ask um, New Zealanders, do you want a healthier, warmer home? Um, it's gonna cost you one to 3% more. Most of them would say yes. Um, the, the other thing we're seeing is financial incentives from banks. So both ANZ and ASB provide financial incentives now for um, lower carbon, healthier homes. So ANZ will provide 1% off your mortgage rate and ASB provides 3% uh, cash back on taking up a mortgage with them. And, and I think we're going to see a lot more of those financial incentives. I think it was you, uh, I can't remember who it was, that told me about a scheme or an innovation introduced in the UK where it was the power companies that had the biggest incentive to see a retrofit happen because they were obliged to reduce their demand. And so, as I understand it, the power companies were actually helping homeowners retrofit to be less energy, uh, have, have a lower energy demand. Have, have I got that right? 
Yes, yeah, you have. This is the energy company obligation that was introduced uh, in the UK. So that's it was passed by law, and that placed an obligation, as the name suggests, on energy companies to improve the energy efficiency uh, and lower the carbon emissions of, of providing energy. Uh, and that's led to uh, huge improvements in housing stock in the UK. Uh, and they, I think a really great part of that is the targeting of uh, lower socioeconomic groups and uh, improving those homes in particular. The, the other thing it did is it created a bit of an industry and a huge number of uh, jobs around improving existing homes. Um, so it's a really great way to drive a new industry Hmm. It starts to get people really interested in learning how they can move up the energy efficiency of their homes. I think the other thing for me, Vincent, is thinking about all this, you know, we've, we've made other huge improvements to the products that we enjoy in everyday life. For instance, we put seatbelts into cars, right? And, and nobody said, oh, that's going to increase the price of the car by $1,000. You know, what we did is we saw that it was going to be a benefit that we needed it uh, we put in seat belts and airbags because it was what what we wanted we wanted a better society and i don't think it's uh i don't think it's justifiable to continue to build or to put up with um crappy existing homes you know i think the history of innovation is um full of examples of where new industry standards were set and the industry rose to the occasion and it's often the industry itself that it's the most resistant to change that's the that is the beneficiary of it as you say the whole new services and products has arisen have arisen as a result of setting these standards um you know, and now it's inconceivable to buy a car without a seatbelt and in fact it, it would be worthless wouldn't it and your point is that the the buildings that are built to the higher standards that meet climate objectives are also better homes to live in and will retain a premium price. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, what we're seeing in the UK and other places is as these energy efficiency standards go up. So the UK have set down uh, from 2025, you won't be able to uh, lease a building that has a low energy efficiency rating. And uh, analysts are saying that this is uh, meaning some buildings are likely to be stranded assets because they can't mm -hmm. improve them. Mm. And I think that's, that's the future we're looking at. Uh, yeah. People will want low carbon, health, healthy uh, outcomes. And unless you move with that, build well now, retrofit your buildings to decent standards, then I think there's real investment risk, especially with things like the Task Force for Climate Related Financial Disclosure and and um, the youth coming through who, who want better quality buildings and homes. Yeah. You've just, you, you're a recent arrival back into New Zealand, aren't you? Have, how, how have you found the experience of coming back in terms of kind of climate awareness and um, uh, the, these standards that you're trying to implement? Has that been a surprise to you? Yeah, a huge surprise. A huge surprise. Uh, you know, I think the EU building performance directive, I guess that had a real influence. And so you go to rent out a, a house in the UK and you get a visual 
description of how energy efficient the, the house is and recommendations on how to improve. Uh, and here in New Zealand, we have we have nothing like that. Uh, and just we are in our we're at the foothills of a really exciting opportunity to improve and um, drive this better. You know, I think if you say to people, you can save 30 to 40% of your, your, your running costs of a building, it's a huge return. Uh, and we should drive transparency and energy efficiency through the economy. There's a real, mm. real opportunity, particularly for um, some people who are finding life a bit tougher because it's a bigger proportion of their, their bills and their homes. So, yeah, I think we've got a long way to go. I know that people listening to this will be burning to ask, should we be building solar into all of our new builds and, in fact, putting solar into retrofits? So, I, I, yeah, there's potential for solar. Uh, just a couple of caveats, I guess. One is that you want the house to be energy efficient and healthy first. Uh, so that's really important. Uh, and if people are considering it for their own benefits, that's great. Um, go for it. I think we're, uh, one thing we need to note is it's not going to address some of the big issues we have in terms of the grid and decarbonisation. So because our grid's already quite low carbon to some degree, uh, then it won't help with that or with the peak load issue. So... In New Zealand, we have an issue when it comes to winter uh, where we have a huge spike in our energy need and um, uh, solar won't help with that because we're using it. Uh, we need energy at night uh, and it's largely driven by space heating in our, in our homes. So for that, we need to take steps to instead improve the thermal efficiency of our homes, uh, reduce them uh, their energy use. And that's where some great papers have shown we can reduce the peak load by up to 75%, uh, then reduce the instances that Huntley gets turned on. So I do think mm. solar is good mm. for people if they're looking at it. But personally, I'd say if you've got $20,000, I'd improve uh, insulation and other, other measures, um, yeah. say windows and thermal brakes. But, um, you know, each to their own on that. So reducing demand is as as good as increasing the um, the amount of generation is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. So there was a a blackout, uh, you know, two was it three four months ago, mm. and um, what was all of the commentators spoke about the need to increase supply. Uh, now there's a really great paper from associate professor Michael Jack. Uh, and his colleagues that points out that the peak load, the significant increase in energy demand that we get in winter is driven by uh, the space heating needs in our crappy damp homes, you know, which you, uh, <laughs> at, the, at, at the start. And a deep retrofit program um, could save uh, potentially 14% of the energy demand that we have in uh, New Zealand and reduce um, the carbon impacts by around 5% of our total carbon impacts and deliver healthier, warmer homes every single year. And Huntley wouldn't need to turn on as much. And 
I really think we need to add in demand side reduction into the equation and improve hmm. the health of our uh, I mean, this really is op- opening a whole nother podcast topic, isn't it? But I, I, what the implications of what you're saying is that the investment in something like a big Onslow dam or a, a more renewable resources, be they wind farms or giant batteries, could he also or alternatively be put into retrofitting homes and have the, the dual benefit of making homes much nicer? That's right. Yeah. So huge health benefits. Um, you know, Philippa Howden Chapman set out that uh, one of New Zealand's top uh, scientists and researchers, I'd say, set out that for every dollar you invest in insulation, you get five dollars back in terms of reduced health costs. Uh, and we have a shameful record in our existing home: thirty thousand children a year go into hospital. And so rather than looking to generate more power, cost billions of dollars to set those up, who pays for that? You know, why don't we reduce energy use, uh, get healthier homes, and then we'll have 70, 60, 70% less peak load issue uh, on an ongoing basis? Stop talking so much sense. We better wind this up. But um, what what happened at COP? Was there anything uh, out of uh, Glasgow that interested you in terms of the the building sector? So, well, what was exciting is uh, we're actually recording this on the first Cities and Built Environment Day uh, at COP. So that was a, a recognition that uh, buildings and uh, cities make up a huge proportion of our um, carbon emissions. In New Zealand, it's, it's 20%. Uh, so that's really, really exciting. There was uh, huge trillions of dollars allocated to decarbonising society from investment firms. And the exciting thing there is that green buildings and homes provide a, uh, a spot for that to be invested in. I thought that was exciting. I thought the commitment from India was um, a really big step up, but clearly uh, we need to go uh, hugely further. And in New Zealand, we need a stronger NDC, uh, nationally determined contribution, and we need to actually make further reductions in Aotearoa rather than just buying overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, Don't I, I think some of it's still to play out, isn't it? Yeah, interesting. Okay, hey, well, Andrew Eagles, is really delightful talking to you. And um, would you come back and tell us more about this demand reduction uh, aspect of retrofitting homes? Because I think that's so interesting and um, never occurred to me before. But, you know, perhaps I'm a bit thick. But um, uh, you're around. And how do we find you, Andrew, online? So you can find me on both on LinkedIn and Twitter uh, or get in touch, andrew.eagles at nzgbc.org.nz. Huge thank you, Vincent, for all of the great work you do in bringing uh, these issues to the fore and thank you to this climate business. It's awesome. Oh, our pleasure. Thanks uh, for joining us. Kia ora, kakite. This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us.